Hey guys, what is going on? We are in the zone. Today is a huge episode because this is episode 100. Can't believe we've already got to 100 episodes, but hey, time flies. We've already basically been in COVID times for almost a whole year. So time flies when we're locked in and we've been locked in since the very beginning, since November of 2018. Me and these two goon heads have been going hard with this podcast. And uh, I guess this is where I got to ask the first question. After last night's Raw, what we saw, I mean, me, Pinello, I guess all three of us since COVID started, we haven't necessarily been following on a consistent basis as much as maybe we've thought. But what are your guys' initial thoughts on the result, the key result that we saw last night with Mustafa Ali joining Retribution or actually running Retribution? All you, man. Yeah. Uh, as far as him being a leader, not too crazy about that. But good for Mustafa Ali. He had that whole thing, I guess, when he was supposed to be the hacker on SmackDown, where everybody totally forgot about that in WWE Creative. Goes to Rock. It's a new, uh, I guess, opportunity. He shines there, I think. And uh, now going with Retribution, I think this is kind of the plan, having him as a heel. Interested to see how this works out. I remember last year when... Uh, he was supposed to get that push that Kofi got, but he got injured from our boy Randy. Uh, that took him out the mix, and uh, Kofi won the title. So maybe this is his retribution to get back at the company. So I like it. I just uh, don't think he should be the leader. I think uh, it should be a way to elevate him up the cards. Yeah, pretty much the same thing. I'm right with you. I feel like if they were going to do this, making him the leader, they should have done it when they were doing all those vignettes in Smack- uh, during SmackDown last year. But um you know, everyone knows about this guy for a while, about how talented he is, and he hasn't really been given a fair shake. So it kind of came out of nowhere, making him the leader just on a close, random episode of Raw. But uh, I'm excited to see where it goes because this guy's got a ton of potential. Now we're finally going to see it. Uh, when you guys look at a guy like Mustafa Ali, you know, running running a big faction like Retribution now, does it kind of resemble uh, kind of like a Seth Rollins all those years ago in 2015? With with J and J security, except you know that was more comedic. But I feel like Mustafa Ali is relatively on Seth Rollins's level when you look at talent, when you look at everything, all in all. You know, obviously, I think he's forty pounds lighter than Rollins. But you know, at the end of the day, relatively, you're going to get around the same type of performance from Mustafa Ali. I remember when we went. Uh, I'm I don't I don't remember what match we watched when we went to SmackDown. I don't remember who he faced. But I remember we watched a match between Mustafa Ali and I I think it was Andrade, I want to say him. Oh, yeah, I think it and was. That, and that match between the two at, on, at SmackDown was just amazing. It didn't beat out Buddy Murphy versus Roman Reigns, but that was also another incredible match. But with Mustafa Ali, I know, Alino, you're not a big fan being the leader of a big faction. What do you think his, his potential is? And I guess if Vince McMahon was already going to put the belt on Mustafa Ali a year ago, how high do you think Ali's ceiling is moving into 2021? Oh, I think he could still be a main eventer. Like, I'm not a fan of him being, like, the leader of a faction just now because of what they've been doing with him, kind of, like, pushing him down the card, uh, losing to the Hurt business. So I don't think they built him up too well to be a leader, but I'm all for it if it helps him uh, get to that main event level. Like, I remember talking to him when uh, they had the WWE thing over here. Uh, that media day and like of all the guys he's like really well spoken with the media so they're the guy you can count on he was a former police officer in chicago so uh i think he's gonna bring some of that into his promos like we saw some of those vignettes that he was doing i think if they let him do those unscripted vignettes again uh people are gonna be surprised at how good he is i think uh future's bright for him but it's gonna be on uh, who that first feud's gonna be like if he takes a title off bobby lashley they don't book it properly and might not have that same outcome that I think they hope it's going to have, but going to keep my uh, fingers crossed for him because kind of got shafted when uh, Randy took his eye out almost with that stomp. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the, the plan but like you look at Mustafa and I think everyone assumed he'd be a big part of the future. Um, yeah, I was just kind of curious to like his promo cutting skills because up until this day, like we've just seen him on 205 Live and then the closest thing we saw was the vignette. So 
you know, the timing's a little random because he was getting pushed down the card, like Alino said. But, uh, uh, yeah, I could see this guy being a main event star down the road. He's got everything you want in a superstar. He's got the prototypical that everyone has nowadays for wrestlers with the fucking long hair and the facial hair. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I see what they see in Mustafa. Uh, it, I think when you think of a guy like him running Retribution, I think it's tough as well because you look at guys that are in Retribution, they're, they're NXT talents like Djokovic. I think that guy has a really high ceiling. At least I, I thought he did. I don't know if he does still as a singles competitor. Uh, I think uh, I don't know who that other guy is with the long dreads. I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, I don't I don't remember what his name is, but he's another NXT guy. You have Mia Yim as well, who's there, who's been you know, in the NXT women's di title division at some point. So I, th I feel like I'm kind of worried with the direction that they're going to go, especially now with Survivor Series rolling around. Uh, Bobby Lashley has been flipping back and forth as a face and a heel. I think this is the time now where you can, you could maybe start to build him as that really top face, kind of like what we've seen with Brock Roman time and time again, when he turns face, he he goes against the biggest heels in the company, and he's usually the guy that will, you know, feel the wrath of his hand. So I feel like this is a big opportunity, not only for Mustafa Ali to come out and to be, a, you know, a main event type player and, you know, to lead a faction. But I think this is a big opportunity for Bobby Lashley because we've been saying time and time again that this guy hasn't been appreciated. You know, uh, Alino has wanted to see Bob, well, I mean, we've all wanted to see Bobby Lashley versus Brock Lesnar since he came back to WWE. And they've had numerous opportunities to pull it, and they haven't done that. So I feel like this is a big opportunity for Lashley. Um, if they get that marquee match at SummerSlam, you have the Hurt Business versus Retribution. Uh, I really don't know which side fans, I guess, would cheer for. It would probably be the Hurt Business, but I wouldn't be surprised if fans are rooting for Retribution. What are your guys' thoughts on the Hurt Business, and do you think Bobby Lashley has a has a main event future at all with WWE? That's your guy, buddy. Started off. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I unfortunately think that uh, they're going to probably put the Hurt Business on SmackDown in the draft. Uh, so then that kind of takes away the main event because uh, Roman Reigns is probably going to have the title for a while. Uh, that's why I think uh, the Hurt Business would be best served on Raw. For the time being, let them go against Retribution, have that blow-off match at Survivor Series, and then after that, maybe you see the Hurt Business go into a more of a face direction. But uh, yeah, like there, he is in his mid forties, so like even though he looks like he's in good shape, he can still wrestle in the ring and go. But like as he gets older, it's gonna be uh, they'd probably be a little bit more hesitant to pull the trigger on that. So uh, they got to do it soon if they're gonna go with that direction. I think when you just look at the members that are a part of this group, like Bobby Lashley, Shelton Benjamin, Cedric Alexander, like these are guys that have kind of been in limbo for the last, I don't even know how long. Bobby, it's, it felt like since he stepped back into WWE, they didn't know what the hell they were doing with him. So if I'm being honest, I don't even care what direction they're going. The fact that they're featured every week and they're such a show, I'm just, I'm really happy for all these guys because for the longest time, no one fucking knew what was going on with them. Yeah, I agree with that. I also I could see Retribution going to SmackDown just just to have Roman Reigns as the as the face of Retribution. That would be hilarious. Um, but moving on from Retribution, it was all good stuff on Raw. Seeing I guess a leader uh, revealed in Mustafa Ali that was a little bit surprising. We were all thinking maybe the Miz, you know, a couple other names, but it was Mustafa Ali, a guy that was relatively surprising. But moving on, we saw the Fiend come back to Raw. He had a segment with Kevin Owens. If there is a theme going on with this character with The Fiend, everybody that comes in contact with The Fiend eventually turns heel. I feel like this is finally an opportunity where Kevin Owens, he might have to start turning back to his bad side. What are your guys' thoughts on that? If Kevin Owens turns heel, who would you like to see him feud with first? When was the last time we saw KO as a heel? Just a little quick there. So Daniel Bryan? I'd like to say maybe a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago. Oh my gosh. Who are some of the top uh, faces right now? I, I, I could see him maybe feuding with maybe a Braun Strowman, but they already did that and that, that didn't go well at all. Um, I could see them maybe feud. I could see him maybe 
feuding uh, maybe with uh, Drew McIntyre, but I don't think they're going to do that. Uh, that's the thing, man. There's not a lot of top faces on Raw. I mean, Buddy Murphy just turned face, but he's feuding with Seth Rollins. Aleister Black just turned heel. So I really have no idea who where the that's the one thing with the the direction with Kevin Owens is kind of like that with him, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of he's he's all over the place. I mean, if this is an opportunity for him to turn heel, this is where you look at the roster and you say, holy shit, there's really nobody that he can face that would be at least make his heel run relevant. And that's where I start pointing at. Well, some well, again, Survivor Series isn't around. the It's around the corner. Why don't you have Kevin Owens turn heel, make his presence known for maybe the first two, three weeks, building up to Survivor Series. And then maybe if they go a, d- a different approach instead of Retribution versus the Hurt Business, maybe they could have Kevin Owens maybe captain Team Raw as a heel. Yeah, or Shinsuke. Like if they turn Shinsuke face again. Because the heel run, like when Shinsuke turned heel at WrestleMania, I thought that was supposed to be like a big turning point for him. And they never capitalized on it. They never really made him be that true heel. He was in Japan, but... Maybe if he turned face, they do a double turn. You have Kevin Owens go to SmackDown and Shinsuke, I guess, drops the titles with Cesaro and you can do Shinsuke versus KO, maybe. Uh, that's the only one I can think of. If they like, no. My God. Do you remember when he got injured and he came back and he was immediately put into the WWE title picture? And then I felt like right after that, they had absolutely no idea what they were doing with him since then. And that was like almost two years ago. <laughs> Jeff Hardy would be another one. <laughs> That's like, but poor Jeff, they would always have to bring up the alcohol stuff. And Sami Zayn's there. Maybe if they do Kevin Owens as a face and Sami as a heel. Ah, but they're in a bind. We should have first, actually. That's been the theme for the longest time with, with Kevin Owens. Is like when he turns either face or heel, the momentum is there. But you give it like a week, two weeks, and it's like, okay, well, what's the direction here? I mean, we, we turned him heel. You know, we, we did what the fans wanted. You know, everyone wanted to turn him heel. Now what? So I feel like Kevin Owens, you know, he is a superstar, I think, when we, what we saw 2016, his uni- universal title run. Can't believe that was already four years ago. That's ridiculous. But that it's, it's just like that was peak Kevin Owens. If, I, if not then, maybe when he was feuding with John Cena. That was like Pete Kevin Owens, but they have a lot to they have a lot of talent on this roster. I think again, this is where maybe a guy like a Rey Mysterio, a Dominic Mysterio, with how much they're involved in the main event or they have been for a while. I feel like that's where it kind of screws guys over like Kevin Owens, where that maybe, you know, as a face, this guy like I remember last year when he turned face, I thought this guy was gonna be the top face on Raw, you know, holding the belt. Maybe even going after a guy like Seth Rollins for the belt, Brock Lesnar, you know, being in around in that kind of, you know, stratosphere. Like he's a superstar when he's on his game. But like uh, like Pinello just said, this guy hasn't really been doing anything for the last year and a half, two years. So I think if they really want to do something meaningful here, you maybe have him show his dark his dark colors. Now he he's uh, he's connected with the Fiend on Raw, maybe two weeks. He can maybe go on a hiatus. No one really knows where Kevin Owens is. And then maybe either before Survivor Series or after Survivor Series, you could have Kevin Owens come out and absolutely decimate Drew McIntyre. And that's where maybe you could start a a top feud. It's fresh. You could give Randy Orton maybe a bit of a break, a bit of a breather, because he's not a full-time guy anymore. So I feel like they do have a lot of... they they, like The the beauty with Drew McIntyre being a top face as the champion, you have a lot of different competitors that can go up against him. I don't want to see Ali go up against Drew right away. I don't want to see Seth Rollins face him again. We can maybe take a break with Randy. So maybe Kevin Owens would maybe be the perfect guy to uh, to face him. But again, there is a draft on Friday. So we really have no idea what to expect. But if you guys had to maybe guess a really pivotal superstar to get drafted somewhere different, who is that superstar for you guys? Yo, you ready for this? Seth Rollins. It'll fuck everything up. (laughs) I was just reading the other. Like, he's one of, like, three people to stay on his brand since the draft in, like, 2016. 
I just I would like when AJ Styles got drafted to Raw. I just want to see something that would totally flip the fucking the whole dynamic upside down. Wouldn't make sense because like him and Buddy are gonna go at it now. But if that happened, that would be fucking hilarious. Oh, but him and Roman on the same show. Yeah, <laughs> both heels. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I want to see the Miz go to Raw and be a main event player. I think now's the perfect time. Uh, he has a reality show. They've been fucking putting commercials out every two seconds. So that would give him an extra three days to promote. And what way better way to promote that is if he walks in with the briefcase that he uh, sued Otis for. He wins a briefcase in that lawsuit, leaves Johnny Drip Drip hanging on Fridays, takes a title from Drew on Mondays, and there you have your champion. Wow. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go with AJ Styles going back to raw. I feel like that's, that's, that's a guy that can, you know, switch it up. He can do whatever he wants. We just saw him. Uh, he's in the intercontinental title picture as I think he should be. I don't think, I mean, the last year he's been absolutely incredible, man. Like you put on a hell of a match with the undertaker with the circumstances that was absolutely phenomenal. One of the better, one of the better matches that I have seen, at least in recent memory, when you think of a of a WrestleMania experience, that was absolutely incredible. We can all agree with that. We all enjoyed it very much. We also enjoyed The Fiend and John Cena at WrestleMania. I thought that was also another experience. And we more and more about the, the, the movie-type matches. A lot of fans did not like it. Wouldn't it be perfectly fitting to maybe see a Drew McIntyre, AJ Styles, main event for the WWE title at Survivor Series. I just feel like that's too good to pass up. AJ Styles, one of the greatest. But how about this, guys? We haven't seen Daniel Bryan in a very long time. What if this guy comes back, goes to Raw, and feuds with Drew McIntyre? Wouldn't that just be perfect? Wouldn't that solve everybody's problems and everybody's complaints? As a heel. Comes back, <laughs> just, you know, I want this, I want that. I'm not appreciated, this and that. Now I'm going to get my respect going after your guys' favorite and Drew. I'm going to take the title back that Kofi took from me. Let's keep going. I feel like that would be perfect. That would throw everybody off. And, and that would just be fresh TV. I am, uh, I would be all for that. Yeah, I don't remember the last time we saw Brian, so... That would definitely throw people off. I don't think they've ever gone one on one, unless I'm really, unless I'm really missing something here. But Brian can work with anyone. Like these two together would be phenomenal. It would just be so aggressive. I can't even picture the fucking the match. Uh, to and even AJ and Drew would be phenomenal. So that's like half a year of TV you can roll with. Oh yeah, and AJ. Like I don't know if uh, I want to see a this though involved at some point. I hope that's what it leads to. So if AJ's going, he has the stats guy, Joseph Park. Uh, I hope it kind of leads to something there where we see him and Abyss go one-on-one. It'd be fitting. be nice to see Abyss in WWE after all the thumbtacks and fucking glass tables and fire he went through. I think he deserves one match. AJ I, 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 yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, that's it. Just 2020, AJ Styles and Abyss on <laughs> Just, just listen to that. <laughs> well, hey, now I got to, you know what? Speaking of TNA, this is a perfect transition. James Storm and RVD are free agents. I'll lean on. Do you see RVD making a five-star splash? Yeah, you like that, eh? Do you, <laughs> do you see him making a five-star splash? Going back to Raw or SmackDown and becoming the intercontinental champion. Maybe being a heel, he could, you know, he could kind of pull out like a Jericho. He could be sipping on some champagne, could be in a nice hot tub with some girls, you know, cutting some nice promos every week saying that, you know, I built this title. I made this title relevant. He could start by doing that. What are your guys' thoughts on RVD and James Storm potentially signing with WWE? Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> RVD, I just got to say, like, I don't think anyone expected this guy specifically would ever change his shtick. 
just pointing his thumbs to himself. People would thought, yeah, that's RVD. He's going to die doing that. So the last <laughs> two years, him just <laughs> with the character work and just the total 180 has been hilarious. You know, he's got things to worry about. His girlfriend's needs he's got to worry about. So RVD can come in and do whatever the hell he wants. I am sold. Alino brought it up uh, earlier this morning. And I just, when I hear RVD, I'm like, oh yeah, he's going in the Hall of Fame. But the guy is still putting on like amazing work. He could still, he could still do it weekly. So, um, man, I would love to see him as a heel in WWE. I don't know if they'd actually give him the green light for that, but fuck, that's exciting. Yeah, that's perfect. Like, are, I'm surprised they never even let the guy talk. Like, I remember when I put the thing on the Instagram account of RVD's promo from ECW at that 2005 pay per view and complete difference he was there for four years at the time and they never really let him cut a promo all of a sudden he cuts a promo and he has a whole crowd just going nuts so i think if rvd if they did it correctly he could be a heel i think impact took a chance they actually did it and it was probably some of the most entertaining stuff they had on for the whole year uh damian priest he can show him how it's done how it's supposed to be rvd did that thing first with the hot tub and all that so uh, I think as a heel, it would work perfectly because he can come out and say that he doesn't want to do any more high-flying stuff. Uh, going against those smaller guys like a Ricochet and uh, Cedric Alexander, Apollo Crews, he can be like, yeah, they're all stealing my moves. And that would be a perfect way to have him as a heel. Uh, in terms of James Storm, I think he's a perfect fit. Him and Bobby Roode, they got to do that. Maybe not call it beer money, maybe Glorious Brewery or brewing gold or whatever the hell they call it just have them together because that's gold and it would really help their tag division now that they lost all these teams going uh nxt and uh aop getting released and the good brothers leaving and <laughs> ftr so they need to capitalize on this and i think it'd be perfect awesome. uh just a couple more things to add before uh going i mean th these are just basically main takeaways that i got from raw we saw Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre. They kind of brought their feud to another level. You know, Drew attacking Randy backstage. We usually don't see that. Pinning him against the wall there. Uh, there have been speculation for quite some time now that Randy is going to take the title. I, I don't know if it's to Drew now, if it's in, in January, but there have been rumors for a while that we're going to see Randy versus Edge for the WWE title at WrestleMania. I don't know if you guys want to see that, but if this is the case here, you guys really see randy orton maybe beating drew mcintyre inside hell in a cell i think so when you look at randy orton's past he's been in uh, so many hell in a cell matches so they should really like promote that that over the years he's really taken a toll and he knows what he has to do to get the job done so in hell in a cell i could absolutely see him winning but uh if the next step were to be him versus edge for the wwe title that's you picking up right where we left off of WrestleMania. I don't know what, where they would go with Drew after, but uh, I am down for those plans for sure. Yeah, it's just the thing with Edge. Like, he only has a few matches a year. So, like, are you going to do another one where he's just facing Randy? Like, I want to see him face maybe someone else on the roster, but I don't think he would win the title if he faces Randy Orton. I think that would be something where they would have maybe, like, a three stages of, of Hell match. Like, both exchange falls and Orton gets a win just to protect the title. So Edge doesn't lose a title right away. But if he could do it, uh, Orton versus Edge, I guess, would be a, a nice WrestleMania matchup, but not a main event because I think Roman and The Rock would probably be that. Uh, but yeah, unless Randy comes out and uh, in this Hell in a Cell match, like they find a way to protect them and he loses. You maybe have Drew face some like, Keith Lee and then Randy. Uh, I know this is an unpopular matchup, but at Survivor Series, Randy versus The Undertaker, you can punt him into retirement. I think that's a likely outcome. And then I think Randy wins it at the Royal Rumble. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I, this is kind of similar to Helen Nacell 09 when we saw John Cena was being very protected at that time. But we knew Randy was also on the same level as John when you look at Superstar. Uh, ability those two guys have been running it forever and i remember watching that hell in the cell match i thought john cena was going to retain and it was actually a one-sided affair where randy kind of just he did the rko he did the punt and then that was it he just beat him got the title i could see that maybe happening here i could maybe see dolph ziggler getting involved uh maybe costing drew mcintyre 
maybe a quick distraction, turns around, RKO, punt, that's it. You have your 14th WWE title reign for Randy Orton. He's continuing to, you know, he's continuing to chase John Cena as being one of the greatest to ever do it. Randy Orton's been around longer than John Cena, believe it or not. He's been doing it longer. He, I don't know if he's been as more, I don't think he's been more consistent maybe as Cena, as maybe the top guy, but he's been there for a very long time and he knows exactly what he's doing. I wouldn't be surprised if Randy were to win. Um, I would be happy either way. Both guys are deserving of it. Uh, I think Randy actually kind of deserves it a little more just based off of the last couple months, what he's had to go through with Edge, especially going down with the injury. Um, they had to, you know, basically switch all the plans. And I'm very happy for Randy. I think he's going to win his 14th title. But this is the last question I got to ask for wrestling that we'll move on. Kevin Owens has basically been in his head a lot recently, you know, uh, with The Fiend going to Raw. Do you guys maybe see The Fiend either going to Raw or SmackDown to feud with Kevin Owens? And if so, what's next for Kevin Owens after this feud? Take it, bud. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not too crazy about it just because we know the outcome here. Like, I think it would be a squash match, unfortunately. But I think uh, the a good outcome that would come out of it would be Kevin Owens turning heel like everyone else that faced The Fiend. So similar to what The Miz did when he faced Bray Wyatt, uh, Daniel Bryan, uh, Braun Strowman. I think after this, we'll see Kevin Owens. So I think this would be a good way to do it rather than having what we usually seen with Kevin Owens, where he just attacks somebody and then he's a heel. So I think this would be something different and a good way to turn a meal. So for now, I'm okay with it. But if it leads to The Fiend being on Raw, I don't know what he would do on that show. <laughs> turn and then move him to SmackDown and then team him with Sami Zayn. And then you got a tag heel dynamic. Let's go. Wow. That's good shit. Um, well, that's it for wrestling. We'll uh, keep going. Uh, keep going with this. We will now move on to the court. We saw Game Three, an absolutely huge, huge performance from Jimmy Butler. Oh my God, a forty-point triple-double. Um, this is actually the first time in NBA history that a guy in the finals who has gotten a triple-double has actually been on the winning side of that. We saw LeBron Magic. They got triple-doubles before, but they were in losing efforts. So Jimmy Butler making history there. What were your guys' thoughts on how well Jimmy Butler played without Bam and Gorin? And how much heart does Jimmy Butler have? And is there a possibility that Miami still has a shot? Nah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, his heart is big. He put the fucking team on his back. You know, 40-point triple-double. The guy was amazing. Just... Uh, was knocking down like 20 foot fadeaways like like nothing he just looked so comfortable that night uh hero too stepping up hero and olenic playing some big minutes after bam going down so everything went right for the heat um i don't want to discredit them but if davis was even like a fraction of what he was in game one and two they'd be up three nothing right now yeah what you said i agree uh but remember what uh, happened at the first half. Who's in trouble? The Heat, right? Yeah. So uh, I'm just going to keep it there. Uh, I don't, we haven't seen Jimmy Butler really be like too consistent in Miami. Like We have to see how this progresses because when they faced Boston, it was like up and down. They would have like a game where they blow them out. And then they let Boston, I think, get back in the series a little bit in that one game. And kind of threw everything off. I think they could have had more time to prepare for the finals. Uh, I think they could have swept Boston, but uh, we'll have to wait and see how they perform in game four. But I think if it's just going to be coming down to momentum, I think they need to carry that same type of game plan, like get a rebound because that's what cost them in game two. They weren't getting the ball at all. Uh, so as long as they can rebound, they do have a chance, but it's just going to come down to the free throw line, I think. And that hasn't been their uh, strongest uh, I guess outcome when the refs are looking at LeBron and he's going to get to the foul line more than a Jimmy Butler just on the way he plays and drives to the basket. Butler takes a lot of shots that aren't the best at times, so we'll just have to see how game four progresses. Yeah, I agree with that. I feel like what I saw, what I saw out of Anthony Davis in game three was probably one of the most disappointing 
unlucky games that you could probably see from a superstar. The first two games, he was absolutely ball dominant. When he had it in the paint, there was really nobody that could stop him. And that was the story going into this series was, can Bam Adebayo at 23 years of age really stop a guy who's just entering his prime and is he's probably a top three player in the NBA right now. Uh, and that, and to me, the, the answer flat out is no. And if Bam Adebayo comes back and, you know, he can, he can guard Anthony Davis and limit him to maybe 20 and 10. Cause we all know that AD, he won't average under 20. There's absolutely no way he's already third all time in playoff points per game with 29.8. So he's already a, an elite playoff scoring performer. So we probably won't see him average under 20. I still got the I still got the Lakers in six. I think I think Miami maybe will win another game. But like you said, Alino, it, it kind of translates back to the Boston series. When I saw Jimmy Butler, there would be games he would absolutely dominate him, Olinick. You have Hero, you even had Drogic at times. He dominated. But, but the consistency was not there. And that that's the big difference. They're a fifth seed. Um, it's a great story, don't get me wrong, but they're not as consistent as the Lakers, and that's just plain and simple. LeBron James, 25 points, but he didn't play well at all, especially in the fourth quarter. He didn't have the drive that we see from LeBron. And what about walking off the court? I thought that was absolutely ridiculous. I know you're upset. I know you're frustrated, but you're literally, you've been the face of the NBA for almost two decades. You cannot be doing that, especially if you're, you know, if you're, uh, if you're winning the chip, especially for Mamba, you know, Kobe would never do that. Um, you know, when it comes to being competitive and, and all that, he puts that aside at the end of the game for respect of the other teams and he shakes their hand and so on and so forth. LeBron did not do that. So I'm very disappointed in his actions in game three. We're all human. We all make mistakes. Don't get me wrong. But that was absolutely, that was out of character for LeBron. He usually doesn't do that. I think right now, Jimmy Butler just, he did the right thing here. He got in LeBron's head. He outplayed him in game three. I still think the Lakers are taking this. I think AD, like Pinello and you both said, he won't play this bad ever again, I don't think, in the series. Lakers in six. Um, but what were your guys' initial thoughts? I know we talk a lot about Jimmy Butler in this game. I want to quickly talk about Kuzma and Markeith Morris, both dropping 19 points off the bench. And you have guys like Caldwell Pope and Caruso combining for seven points in 47 minutes combined. So I just want to quickly ask, next game, do you start Kyle Kuzma? Yeah. Yeah, I'll start Kuzma. I think the thing with me is that, like, where the fuck is Danny? I feel like I say this every week. What the hell is Danny Green doing? Like, if LeBron and Davis, if they're at least good like those two alone, they're in the game. And the Heat just, they took over late in the game because, you know, depth players for the Lakers weren't really doing it. But, um, yeah, I'd throw Kuzma in there. You know, it's, it's always a it's hit or miss, like Alino said last week, with what you're going to get after LeBron and AD. So Kuzma had a solid game, 19 and only 23 minutes. Fucking throw him in there. Why not? Yeah, throw him in there. See what kind of performance you get. But, like, Danny Green... I think they're regretting that contract right now. I think they thought they were going to get what they saw in the Raptors' uh, playoff run. Hasn't been the case. Uh, I think Danny Green at this point of his career is one of those guys, like a fringe starter, I guess, if you were to compare it to hockey, like a goalie. He's going to come in hot one game. The next game, you probably won't see him. He'll play like 10 minutes and get like eight points in another game. He'll get hot again, and then after, you won't see him for a stretch, so... Unfortunately, that's where his careers went. He is an effective three-point shooter when he gets hot, and he's uh, a good guy to have. But at that price, what you're paying him, uh, I think in the offseason, they'll probably look at trading him, uh, probably look at the guy like DeMar DeRozan if they can get him in. I think that would be a perfect fit, but I don't think Danny Green will be a Laker next year. I don't think so either. And, you know, it sucks because, like, this guy – at least two years ago was looked at as a really key player, a guy that wins. He's got that culture in him. He's got, I mean, man, you, you, he's been with Ginobili, Duncan Parker. Like he knows what winning basketball is. He's got that in his DNA, but there's just been something missing from his game since leaving the, the raps. I don't know if that's his confidence. I don't know if it's the lack of touches that he gets. Um, but he, yeah, there's been times in the game where I literally look at, 
I look at like their whole team as a whole and Danny Green is at the bottom of those players. I mean, he's, and I hate saying that, like I take Caruso over Danny Green, but last year, like I, Caruso was a meme. So Caruso, he's, he's gotten better. I think like at least the last year and a half where Danny Green, man, I don't know what's going on. Even his three point shooting has relatively gone down last year. He shot relatively well, 42%. That's above average. And then this year, I think he was, shooting around 36. So I don't know if it's confidence issues. I don't know if it's just with the pressure of playing with two all-stars and, or sorry, superstars and AD and LeBron, but there's, yeah, there's been something missing with uh, Danny Green's uh, game. And I hope that he finds it eventually. But with that being said, I, I guess now maybe is a time that Frank Vogel starts maybe playing J.R. Smith a little more because we saw that he played five minutes and he sunk a three-pointer. So I feel like J.R. Smith, he has to play a little more. Don't you guys agree? I mean, I look at uh, Green put up two points this game, like five the last game. So I don't think it hurts to just – because Green's only playing 17 minutes anyways. You're not really that effective from the three-point line this series. So why not? They brought him in for a reason. So the guys – he's been a professional scorer for 15 years. I'm pretty sure J.R. Smith even now has something to give. Nah, I'm just keeping him in in case of an emergency like we saw the last game or a few <laughs> other games, just in case somebody fouls out for whatever reason. He's a good insurance policy. Uh, if you have too many guys coming in and missing shots and then getting into foul trouble, it might put your team uh, at risk of losing another game. So I would just keep him on the bench for now. And in case you need him, uh, you can just rely on him to come off the bench and score a few points and facilitate some of the offense, maybe get some assists. but. In terms of starting, I, even Caruso, like I wouldn't start him. I'd keep him on the second unit just so they have somebody to go to. But J.R. Smith, unfortunately, uh, I would keep him on the bench for now. Wow. Well, we all say Lakers still, as we should. But uh, let's move on now. It's it's going to be a big night tonight for the NHL. This is uh, a night that usually me and Pinello watch. We've been watching it for a long time. But unfortunately, this year it's looking a little different. Uh, we got the 2020 NHL draft, and that's tonight around 7 o'clock. It's safe to say that Lafreniere is going first overall to the New York Rangers. But after that, who goes to the LA Kings? Mm. I'm going to go with uh, Stutzela. Just, uh, I think LA is in a position where they've been building over the last few years. And yeah, obviously at the two spot, you just take the best available. Uh, just watching this guy at the World Juniors was blowing my fucking mind. Um, yeah, they just got to keep building it for the LA Kings. Um, I feel like they've been getting shafted the last few years too because they're always at the bottom and then never win the lottery. So, But either way, they're going to end up with a solid player and then just keep going from there. But I would take Stutzela if I'm the LA Kings at two. Yeah, I would... As a draft, like as we get different rankings come out and there's probably going to be more time from whenever these guys eventually play. So they're probably going to be, I think the first five for sure you can lock in an NHL team. I think they should be ready. I think uh, they've already been training since March. I think you have to be in the lineup if you're them. There's the amount of time you have to prepare and get your body into an NHL kind of level. If you're not in the NHL, I think it's not looking good for your first year development. I think even the teams should give them that respect to come in there. But I would go Byfield at number two. Uh, I like the way he's developed as a late. He's come up the draft board. I think they had him at four or five on one of the uh, different mock drafts they saw before the season. And uh, now they even have him at two or three. So for him to make that kind of a jump, some players moving out, I think Lafreniere's a lock at one. Uh, but even LA, I guess, would you guys trade the pick? Because they have Doughty long-term. They have Kopitar long-term. Uh, Quick looks like he's at the end. But do you look at maybe trading and see what you can get with this lineup? Uh, no. Uh, I don't think – I don't even think they're in a position to really trade. I don't know who they would trade uh, with that pick. Uh, they would definitely have to look at, like, a star-studded center. That's, I think, their first need. Uh, Drew Doughty's now 31 years of age, or not 31, I think he's 30. He's still 30 years of age. Um, his contract is ridiculous. We all still see, I still see him 
as maybe a fringe top 10, maybe, I don't know if he's still a top 10 defenseman in the league, but he's there. He's still there. He's going to be there at least for another year or two. But I, I think, what's he at? 10 point something, 11 million. That's just ridiculous. I don't see anybody wanting that contract. But, Alino, this is, I think, a perfect position for LA to just kind of hit restart, kind of like what Vancouver did with Pedersen all those years ago. They were in that position. They knew they were bad. And, um, you know, they had a top five pick and they're like, you know what, we're going to go all out with the upside type player. And I, I agree with uh, Tim, Stutz, Tim Stutzley going to the Kings at the number two. I just feel like when you look at upside, I feel like Tim Stutzley can be the Pedersen of this draft. Not really, not really known that well. Uh, he was great in the world juniors, but other than that, you know, the storyline has been Lafreniere Byfield for the longest time. Two Canadians going top two. I feel like Stutzley is going to ruin that. I think he's going second overall. They they need they need more skill. I mean, Byfield is really similar to Kopitar. He has been. I mean, that's been the comparison. I just feel like this is an opportunity where LA can experience a culture change, kind of like what the Rangers did, kind of like what the the Vancouver Canucks did with their last couple picks. I feel like this is a this is going to be a home run uh, pick. I think either way for the Kings, but I think they they take Stutzley at, at number two. But uh, you know, if you're saying that guys are going to be pro ready, uh, the top five guys in this draft, what does that mean for Ottawa? Because they have the third and fifth pick. I got them taking Byfield at three, and I also got them taking Lucas Raymond at number five. So it's between Raymond and Drysdale for me at five. What does that mean then for the Ottawa Senators if you think that those two guys are going to be pro-ready? Oh, for Ottawa, if they're not even close to the wildcard spot, it's a disappointment already. Because look at all the guys they have on their roster. Uh, they're going to get two top five picks. You can make some uh, moves at the deadline even. Or not the deadline, the draft, like tonight, maybe in the second night of it. When you look at how it progresses after the fifth and sixth round, you can maybe make a move here or there. Free agency, I think you're going to need to bring some guys in for your group. And, like, you can't really waste this. Like, you have a lot of young talent right now that you're going to get even after this draft. So take advantage of that. Uh, you have, a, I think, a, still a solid defensive core with Shabbat. So I think you could uh, improve a lot this year. And if you're dead last, I think it's a disappointment. Man, three and five. Okay, so I got I – got- Byfield and Drysdale to them, which I don't even, they could take two random guys that no one expected and it'd still be a win for the Ottawa Senators. Um, yeah, it's looking real good over there all of a sudden. They got Kachuk and uh, Logan Brown's playing center, Josh Norris, Shabbat, Brandstrom. They got a ton of young guys coming in. Uh, the Battle of Ontario is going to be that much more exciting, finally. Um, but yeah, like, it's it's looking real different that they could be playoff contenders as soon as next year. Not contenders, just a threat to make it. But um, that happened real quick, though, didn't it? Ever since the Matt Duchesne deal. <laughs> it did. Even the Mark Stone trade kind of... I, I I still don't think they won that trade. I, I need to see what... What um, what the hell is that guy's name? What Boyg Fisk can, uh, has to do. Um, but... I don't know, man. Like this is a this is a team I'm looking at them, and it's like, or not Boykfist, Branstrom. This is a team I'm looking at, and it's like, holy shit, they got young super fast, and uh, they they're looking like a team again. Their defense is their biggest weakness. I look at their defense and I laugh. But you know, if you have if you have Drysdale there, one of the youngest players in the draft, uh, maybe you could season him for a year unless he is already ready to play. Um, Drysdale, I think, is going to be a number one defenseman in the league. I think he's absolutely amazing. Byfield is going to be, if not, he'll be a top six forward, no doubt about it. Um, Logan Brown's transition hasn't been as smooth as Ottawa fans have wanted, but I think he will. He'll get there eventually. And Josh Norris, oh my God, I think that guy's. I think he's going to be amazing. He's got a great shot. He's got great hockey sense. So yeah, I agree with you guys. I I do think that. Ottawa, I think as soon as next year, you could maybe see them, maybe even jumping Buffalo if 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 things go <laughs> oh. if things go smooth. Because Buffalo, Buffalo, have for for years now, we've been saying, okay, are they a playoff team now? Jack Eichel's gotten a little better. Are they are they there? And they're not there. So 
we got to see what Darlene does next year. We got to see what the development is with that team. All in all, Tage or Tristan Thompson's coming back, or uh, sorry, Tage Thompson's coming back. So this is um this is going to be a fun division, at least for us with Leafs as well. But uh, moving on, I guess I got to ask this question: Ottawa's a huge win in this draft. <laughs> the Red Wings were supposed to get the first pick. They're now drafting fourth overall. Who do the Detroit Red Wings need the most, and who do you guys see them taking at number four? They, like the LA Kings, they need everything. But uh, I'm going to go with... uh, Fuck, why you do this to me on the spot? I'll go with Cole Perfetti. I really can't tell you why. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm... I'm Good center. <laughs> I'm trading if I'm them. It might sound crazy, but you got Dylan Larkin, Anthony Manta. I'm gonna try and trade with LA something and get uh, Byfield. So yeah, I can't. Uh, if I got four and I'm Detroit, I think Byfield would be a perfect fit with Larkin. Those two guys at center. Uh, I think it just would speed up the rebuild a little bit because you would have that similar playing style throughout your top four centers and. Uh, I think Larkin's still a really good player. Mantha, we saw before he got injured how good of a player he was. So, yeah, I'm going to try and work out a deal if I'm those two. Swap the two and four. See what you can make happen. Who's the D they took last year, sixth overall? The German kid. Moritz more Sider? Could they, yeah, could they use another D with him? Because I'm looking at it now, and uh, they got Dennis Chowalski back here, Philip Hronik. Like, it's not a fucking Mark Stahl, Danny DeKaiser. Like, yeah, like the forward group, it's not. You mentioned Larkin and Mantha, and we'll see what happens with Fabry and Zadina and Bertuzzi's coming along. So, you know what? Maybe they could use a defenseman this time around. I don't know if, uh, but I don't know if, uh, if, if Drysdale, like, if he were to go fourth overall, I feel like that's just. I feel like Cole Perfetti is the guy they have to draft here or Lucas Raymond, one of the two. I don't see them maybe taking Perfetti. I I think Lucas Raymond's the better player, but I feel like Perfetti would probably be the better fit when you think of like the team need. I like what I saw from Dylan Larkin this past season was a flat out disappointment. I thought like I know that he was injured and, and Mantha was injured, but I just thought that this guy would be that consistent 70-point guy, and right, and he still hasn't been that, and he's now 24 years old. So whether he becomes captain next year, um, we, we got to wait and see for that. I, I still think that's happening. Um, I just... Raymond or Perfetti, but, like, again, let, let's say Drysdale... Yo, let's say Drysdale goes to uh, let's say uh, they they take him third overall. Let's say let's say this is a complete throw off, and Drysdale goes third overall to to the to the Ottawa Senators. Are you telling me that they're not going to take Tim Stutzley at number four? There's absolutely no way. So I feel like either way, we can't really be saying like the forward group they have isn't is enough. I don't think it's enough at all. I think they need help either way. Um, I think it's just getting to that point now where I know, uh, Pinello, you're not going to like this comment, but Dylan Larkin, um, do you, it, like, let's say they draft a Byfield or a Stutzley if, if, if Ottawa really likes Drysdale at three. Can you maybe see Dylan Larkin becoming a Matthew Shane type player where it's like, I know my role was number one center. I get replaced as the number one center. And then I start making a stir in the locker room. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? If they draft a centerman at number four, can you see maybe Dylan Larkin asking for a trade? Mm-hmm. If if they were to get Stutzla, you're saying, or just any center? Yeah, like let's let's say yeah. So like let's say the the Sens get Drysdale at three, and then you can then there's Lucas Raymond available who can play center, and there's also Stutzla. I think he just fucking adds to it. I don't think it, it'll stir up any controversy of we don't know if Larkin's our guy. Like there's inconsist there's consistent uh consistency issues there for sure, but like the the team has not been good since he stepped into the league. 
So um, I just think like he's just got to continue working on his game and continue building. I think it's a blessing if they were to if they were to get Stutzel at four. I think that's fucking amazing to have that one two punch up there. But to go as far as saying Matt Duchesne, I don't. I'm not with you there. Nah. Well, you know what we got now. The Leafs are drafting 15th overall. I got to ask this question. Um, is it safe to say that Braden Schneider is looking like the guy that the Leafs want to draft at 15? <laughs> Right-handed Canadian defenseman. Yep, luck. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds right. no, I think it's Askarov. I think it's Askarov. I think they want the goalie, and uh, that's going to be pushing Freddie out the door. Uh, I think, unfortunately, get ready for some controversy here in Leafland because uh, I think that number one goalie position's up for grabs. Who else can you see taking the goalie? I'll, I'll, you know, I don't think he reaches the Leafs, uh, Askarov. I, I see it's so funny to say. I think the Carolina Hurricanes are going to draft Askarov at 13. I like it's just one of those picks where we're going to get so close to the goalie and like the Leaf faithful are going to be so excited. And then it's either going to, he's either going to get drafted to, the, the Hurricanes at 13, and guess who has the 14th pick? The Edmonton Oilers. They need a goalie, too. So I don't think the, I don't think the Leafs are going to get Askarov. I think Braden Schneider's the perfect fit for the Leafs if they don't trade the pick, because knowing Dubas will probably trade the first-round pick for a 34th pick and a fucking roster player, because that's what he's done time and time again. But... Wow, that's a that's a hot take for you, Alino. You think that the Leafs need Askarov? I think I think our goalies are pretty good. I think you know Ian Scott and Joseph Wall. I think those guys are gonna. I think they're panning out pretty well. Jack Campbell's another guy, 27, 28 years of age. This is where the Freddie Anderson trade rumors always pop up, and this is where I gotta kind of. I've heard rumors of him going to Edmonton. I've heard rumors of him going to Carolina. I've heard him. I've heard rumors of him going to Boston. I really don't know where Frederick Anderson is going, but Dubas came out with a statement the other day saying that he believes that Anderson will be our goalie starting next season. Do you guys think that is true or false? Oh, he said he believes. He didn't say he is. <laughs> yeah, he, he also believes that the Leafs are going to win a cup. That doesn't mean they, they did. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a way of him saying, yeah, we're, li- we're listening to offers right now. The phone's... Uh, it's cooking right now with text messages and calls. As soon as I get a nice offer, I think we're going to we'll, we'll consider moving him at his age, especially and what he probably wants in his contract and um, sell him high. Uh, but yeah, if nothing comes up, I could see them keeping Anderson and uh, trying this out and risk losing him in free agency. Did you say Freddie rumors to Boston? Did I fucking hear that? <laughs> you did. You did hear that. Could you picture that for one second? I'm trying to picture it, and uh, it doesn't. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look pretty at all. Oh my god! How would you even have the guts to call them and be fucking work a trade with them after the last few years? Oh my god! Okay, I could see him staying. That's what I'm going to go with for the short term. <laughs> Freddie Wilson. Well, you got to remember they're they're really they're really sour with Tuka Rask right now and they really want to get rid of his contract because they have a lot of free agents that they want to sign they got Tory Krug who they are, they want to sign I don't think they will um Jake DeBrusque is also an RFA I think he wants 5 mil so there are and of course you have Charlie McAvoy so there are questions um that have to be and even Zdeno Chara like I don't know if this guy's staying or going or retiring or whatever but Boston, they do have a couple, even like you look at the contract of David Krejci, that's uh, it's pretty hefty. So I don't really know what to think with Boston, at least in this offseason moving forward. I don't know. I, I, I still see Freddie potentially going. We need that defenseman. We need that D. And I, I think Fred, trading Freddie Anderson, maybe you, you add Janssen in that. Maybe we can get a solid defenseman back. And maybe the Leafs can finally get a cup. Down the you guys, you're saying it's fitting if Edmonton or Carolina were to take the goalie one or two before. I think it would be more fitting if Braden Schneider went to Edmonton one pick before. And that would be our guy instead of the goalie. I mean, yeah, but again, like, the, like you think of 
team needs. They just drafted Evan Bouchard. I feel like that guy is going to be amazing. And, you know, they have Darnell Nurse at 25 years old. So I don't know how important, like, again, they're a team. They need everything. They need help. McDavid needs help on offense, especially, you know, scoring depth. They haven't had that for years. Zach Cassian was, I don't even want to get started on their bottom six forwards. But then you have their D who, they're not that great offensively. And Braden Schneider's a two-way defenseman. He kind of reminds me of a Sandine in a way, except a lot taller. And a lot. I think he's a lot more poised. So Braden Schneider, I guess, going to Edmonton, would be a, it would be ideal. You have Schneider and Bouchard for the future. That would be awesome. But I don't know, man. Like I just feel like you have – who were their goalies this year? It was Talbot and Koskinen. Like, that was – that's awful. Like, they need a goalie. <laughs> Like they, dude, they need a goalie bad, and I feel like Askarov, if if he's getting Vasilevsky type comparisons, why not? Why not take a risk on Askarov and maybe even throw him in next year? Because like oh. they they need a goalie bad. <laughs> I'll I'll fucking tell you why not. Because Askarov is going to the Minnesota Wild. Because that duo is worse than Edmonton's and Brady Schneider. Well, <laughs> and Schneider will go to Edmonton. <laughs> you heard it here, Minnesota Edmonton will get fucked there. Oh, they yeah, just what traded. about uh, <laughs> that trade there with Dubnik? That opens up the spot with Ascrov. I didn't think of that. <laughs> what would you do? This would be typical Minnesota. What would you do if they, so they traded Dubnik? <laughs> their starting goalie is, is free. What would you do if they went out and signed Braden Holpe to like a seven-year, $49 million contract? <laughs> Yeah, drug test goals. management. <laughs> I put them right back in limbo, right back in the eleventh in the West. Like I, I could see that happening too. And don't get me wrong, like I love Mini. I love what they want to do. I think Parise's on the way out. They just traded Eric Stahl for almost nothing. So, like I, I like I, I appreciate what they're doing. They still have Ryan Suter. I don't know if they're they're gonna keep Matt Dumba or ship him. They need everything. Um, even if even if Minnesota were to snag Jake Sanderson or Jamie Drysdale. I think that'd be huge, but they're not getting Drysdale. There's no way. Um, Askarov going ninth to Minnesota would just be so perfect for them, but I don't think it's happening. I think they're going to take a defenseman or a forward. I think they're either going to take Jack Quinn or Lundell. I don't think they're taking Askarov in the top 10. I don't think that's happening. I believe it. Cause they're another team too now. Like they've, They've been good. I'll leave it at good for a while. And now, like, the, you look at the roster, and it's like Eric's an ex playing number one center, and Parise's still on that top line there. Suter's playing half the game still. So it's got to be, they got to turn the page, Minnesota, at some point. I think with the goalie, that would just, that would start it off. Yeah. And usually it doesn't, that usually doesn't start rebuilds, the goalie. It's usually, you know, you start, you get a center. And then you get a D or a goalie, but the goalie usually doesn't start it. So that would be pretty interesting to see. But uh, I got to ask this question because I'm a devil. I've I've, I've loved the Devils. Everyone knows that. They have three first-round picks. Do you guys see them doing anything with those three, or do you think they just draft three first-round picks? I'll trade them. I wouldn't even draft them. This is like you already have Hughes. You have uh, Heeshear. Like you got to find a way to move Subban's contract. I think you got to package one of these picks around and get creative. I think the way you drafted, I think the last two years, it's about time you start building from there. So uh, trade the picks, get another raw, like a young, potentially uh, top four defenseman from another team, uh, and use this as leverage. I think this is a time to get creative and take a risk. For that, uh, for that seventh pick. Are you confident they can take a defenseman in that spot? No, I don't think they take a D there. And the reason is the depth. There's not enough D in this draft. I think that screams seventh overall. Like you have Jake Sanderson, who would be a gift if he was there at seven. I don't think he'll be there at seven. I think he'll go to the Ducks. I think the Ducks are taking him at six. Like, dude, come on. Like he's an American-born defenseman. I just feel like he's going to Anaheim. I feel like that's that's a lock. If not, if you have Sanderson and Ty Smith for the future, and plus you have Hughes and Heischer, I think that's that's solid. But 
I was thinking, my dad said this the other day, and I think it was brilliant. If you can trade Subban's contract and you could somehow find a way to sign Tory Krug, like then, then, then the devils are, they're starting to make their way. But I think it all depends on Will Butcher's development. If this guy can, you know, become a 50 point player, if he's a 30 point guy that can just play the penalty kill very well, um, there's just, a, there's, there's some identifiable problems on this team. He sure and Hughes. Yeah. They both went first overall, but are they really first overall type players right now? I don't think so. I don't think he sure was worth the first overall pick and same with, J- with Jack Hughes, but we got to wait and see on these guys. Um, we all know how great Quinn Hughes is. Uh, I think he's one of the best defensemen in the league already. So, um, uh, I guess Pags, I'll ask this question. If it's not a D, which forward will put them over the hump? Is it Marco Rossi? Is it Lundell? Is it is it Lucas Raymond at seven? Like I really have no idea who who would be the proper fit at number seven. See, I was thinking Marco Rossi, but I brought up the the defenseman specific. There's so many fucking forwards here because like they're, they would just I don't know. Like if they took any of these forwards, it'd probably be another two three years before you see them. Honestly, from the Devils, but uh. I would, I would, from the Devils, I would just try to trade up to take a defenseman. I don't know if I would take a forward in their position. So, like, I'm, I guess I agree with Alino. I would trade some of the picks just to try to get a D because, like, if I'm the Devils, I'm not really feeling any of these here. Well, th- that's the thing, though. Like, what, what would a trade package look like? Because they, they got quite a bit for Taylor Hall, um, especially for a one-year rental. That was a pretty bad trade if you think about it for Arizona. But like, just, do they trade a Blake Spears? Do they trade a, a guy like a Jesper Bratt, a guy that they got in the fifth round and he's looking like a top six forward? Do you finally ship off the unreal player in Pavel Zaka? Like, like I really, I really have no idea who they trade. I mean, are, like, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now, if, if they're calling for Nico Heischer, I'm hanging up the phone. So that, I don't really know. Like, I love Heischer. He kind of right now he reminds me more of like a Nugent Hopkins where he's uh he's a consistent top six forward, but he's not that superstar that the Devils, I guess, anticipated. I think Jack Hughes can can become more of the superstar type player, more than more than uh Nico Heischer. But these are uh big question marks for the two guys moving forward. I really have no idea who they would package to get a defenseman. If you guys had to make a trade package just quickly for me, what do you think it would be? Uh, wait, to what? To like move up in the draft or something? To move up in the draft or to get a top 4D? Anything. Uh, it's probably starting with the seventh pick. I don't know. I wouldn't trade all three of those first rounders, but like if I want the best D in the draft, if I'm the Devils, you start with the seventh and then maybe one of the other first rounders. And then like <laughs> maybe a Zaka to throw in a little spice. <laughs> But it starts with that seventh uh, overall pick for sure. Uh, and it also starts with Subban. If you're looking at New Jersey, you have to take advantage of the cap space, retain half of Subban's contract. I think it has two years left on it. So you're looking at four and a half million and the seventh pick. Maybe even the LA you can have uh, Subban Doughty. Subban on a cheap deal. Uh, gives them a chance to maybe compete for a wild card if they get. Uh, the right pieces at free agency. They have Kopitar long term, so I don't think they'll they can't trade him and Doughty long term. Uh, this is the I think LA's the only team you can really take advantage of in that kind of situation. And if you're New Jersey, you have to because you can't just rely on hitting and missing on these top picks because then you'll end up like Edmonton. And uh, we saw how long it took for them just to get some positivity with uh, McDavid. So. This is where you have to take a risk like they did with uh, Schneider and uh, turned up to Bo Horvat in Vancouver. I really like that. I feel like, can we just praise Vancouver quickly? And then like, uh, then we'll call it a day. Like th- This team, they went from being a laughing stock, like when, Sedin, when the Sedins were on their way out, like their top six was absolutely terrible. I think it was the Sedins and Louis Erickson that last year. <laughs> but like look at if you look at their team now and what they've done with the patience too like like if if you're the GM if you're Jim Benning and you saw the development of Ole Olevi back in 2016 like that that was a huge pick that they did like that was a like 
okay, this is where we're going to kind of start the process. Like we took Vertanen in 2014, 2015, I believe was Besser. And now 16 is Levy. So this is like, okay, we got our, we got our defenseman now. And then what happens? Another three drafts come and he hits home runs in Elias Pettersson, who's probably been the best player in that draft. And then he takes Quinn Hughes and those two picks absolutely changed the whole dynamic, made Brock Besser a lot better. They signed JT Miller. They get Tyler Myers. I mean, this team, we went from laughing at this GM to potentially praising him, and they almost went to the Stanley Cup final. So is it safe to say right now, is Vancouver Canada's team? Oh, you take that one. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, good for them because they were the laughing stock for a while. I think it starts with fucking (laughs) even when they took Elias Patterson at five at the time, it was like, what the hell are you guys doing? This guy was pegged for like 15 to 20. And then he just came into the league and fucking lit it up on fire. Having Bo Horvat as your number two center, very Ryan O'Reilly like is just a perfect setup. Uh attracting free agents all of a sudden Tyler Myers coming in and then Quinn Hughes can play behind him and Edler's still playing half the game. Like they're in a pretty good spot right now with their mix of, uh, um, young guys and, uh, veterans. So this is a solid team. They're only going to get better. Okay. So to end this podcast, episode hundred, I got to ask Lafreniere, how many points next year and how impactful is he to the Rangers success? Fuck. I'll say 61 points in a full year. And he, yeah, he'll be one of the main uh, guys with Panarin and Zibanejad. You know the drill. He's going to be hot shit right away. 60 points first year. Yeah, I think this is a, like a 65-game season that we're going to see. And I Never see mind. him getting 50 <laughs> points. And yeah, it's going to be hot shit. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll use, if it's 65, I'll say like 45 points. Yeah, he's going to be hot shit right away, easily. Uh, all this time he has to prepare. If uh, he's not, then I guess people will be a little disappointed, but he should be able to hit the ground running. I don't see why not. And yeah, make an impact. But uh, like even a free agency like that, like <laughs> if uh, New York get creative, like I know they got lost Lundquist, so they have more cap space to move around there. New York's going to make another run there in that wild card spot, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think they're the scariest team going into next year, offensively for sure. So Banishad, you, like we even forgot about guys like Lias Anderson and Philip Chital. If they start going, oh God, this team is scary. They're, they're really deep. Uh, so Banishad, I don't know if he'll have a season like last year again. Everything was just clicking for him. He had 40 goals in like 61 games. That's ridiculous. I don't think he'll do that again, but I think he will be almost a top 10 center in this league. I mean, this is where people start appreciating greatness, and that's what he is. But uh, yeah, that's it for this week. Um, this was episode 100. We basically touched up on everything. Again, wrestling, basketball, talking about Jimmy Buckets, you know, dominating the finals, talking about the draft, which is happening tonight. Watch that on Sportsnet. Should be fun. And uh, stay tuned for more episodes. This is episode 100. 101 next week, boys. Let's get it.